Hey everyone, welcome to today's episode of Emotional Duct Tape. I'm Corey, and usually Jamie is right here with me at the beginning. She's on her way, which is fun because I get to rant a little more than usual. Uh, so great to have you all join us today. We're um, coming up on the, the first year of the podcast anniversary, and Jamie and I are just so grateful for everyone's support, for uh, your messages, for being guests, for doing everything you can to uh, to be part of this process with us. Um, usually there's a little bit of a back and forth with, with what's going on in the world, um, but today I'm just excited to get right into the episode. Um, so please welcome to the podcast today, my new friend, Allie Waller. Hi, Allie. Hi. It's so great to have you here. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. So um, Jamie and I first encountered you on social media, Allie, um, with this project you're doing. You're an artist and you have this, this project called Out of 200. And um, the first thing I saw of your video was you um, taking uh, these castings. And I should probably put a little trigger warning in here real quick. We are going to be talking about some some hard things that people aren't always comfortable hearing or talking about. So um, we're going to be talking about some sexual violence related issues. So if that's something you're not able to um, deal with right now, please pause the episode and uh, listen when you're in a good place to do so. But uh, you have this project called Out of uh, 200, which um, I'll just have you talk about it in your own words. Yeah. Um, so I started the project out of 200, uh, in response to the trial of Jeffrey Epstein, um, specifically Marie and Annie Farmer, uh, coming forward in the documentary Filthy Rich. Um, Epstein paid victims $200 to stay silent, um, after he would assault them or to recruit other young women, uh, and the whole timeline of it all fell at the end or I don't know, stopping point of my trauma therapy for my own assault, uh, which I'd been doing for two years, EMDR. And it was just this perfect concoction of a really, really emotional response to the whole case and the documentary and, um, so I just decided, you know, I want to hear the stories of uh, as many people as possible. And I want to amplify those stories and those voices. Uh, and their initial goal was to only cast 200 people, um, hence the out of 200. And as of today, I have cast 1,113 people. Wow, that's amazing. Um, and uh, for, so, so to hear, you know, that, that you experienced something like this is, you know, as well is, is very, very sad to hear. And I'm sorry that had to, you know, happen. Um, and, but I think in, in a way, though, this was probably an extension of your trauma or your, your therapeutic response to what happened to you as well. Um, so those of you uh, who are listening can't see this right now, but behind Allie, there's uh, this wall of castings and you specifically when you do a cast and you cast the chest area mm -hmm. that's a really vulnerable place for people to be in in general anyways anybody who you know who takes uh who's a part of art uh it's you know there's a vulnerable state especially when you're you're exposing yourself like that um how do you engage with them while you're doing this process uh, i think that's one of the <clears throat> 
well, there's where there's two aspects that are really vulnerable. You know, one is the story aspect and the conversation. Um, and not everyone talks about their assault. Um, I start by asking, what is your relationship with your body? Kind of allowing space for them to set the tone. Um, sometimes we just talk about the weather, you know, sometimes we have these really deep conversations. Um, but I, of course, focus a lot on consent language and on making the person comfortable. Uh, I have consent contracts, which is uh, a newer thing that I have started doing, um, just so that people like feel secure that their stories are safe, that, you know, everything is confidential, that they can end it at any time, they're not obligated to do anything. Um, but I start by covering their nipples. Um, and from there, I just am very vocal about what's going on. You know, is it okay if I go up your chest or if I touch your stomach? Is it okay if I touch your collarbone? Um, and it only takes about 20 minutes to dry. So I let them know, you know, a timeline as well so no one feels trapped. But yeah, it's just a matter of communication and um, I think making sure that the person also knows that I'm listening in the conversation that we have. And um, a lot of times people want their pictures, things like that. And then sometimes uh, there's an option for people to take a, a cast home and to put one in the installation. So some people want to leave it and some people want to take it as a reminder. For every person who says yes and who does this, I'm sure there are people who maybe um, maybe get a little little standoffish, maybe back out before you even begin. Have you ever had that happen before? Uh, no, I've never had anyone back out. Uh, That's great. Yeah, and I don't ask anyone to do it. Uh, everyone is a volunteer. So if anything, I'll have people say, you know, I have been following this for almost two years and I don't know why it took me so long. Or, you know, people who say I, I'm not ready to do it now, but I would like to do it. I get messages like that. Okay, that's very interesting to know. Um, that's great, though. Uh, so if you don't mind, I kind of want to take a step back, and I, I kind of want to talk about your grief aspect and your response to what happened to you. Um, we've definitely had people who have been victims of sexual assault, sexual violence on this podcast before. Um, and obviously therapy worked for you, but um, the grieving process of what happened to you, what was that like for you? Well, I think that I continually, you know, it's not linear. Exactly. So I, you know, I think I re-enter those seasons and, and I probably will enter more seasons. Um, but with it being from an assault at first, um, I was assaulted and groomed for three or four years throughout my teenage years, um, starting when I was 12 or 13, I don't really remember. Um, but I, the, the grieving was mostly confusion at first because, you know, it eventually became like a, a legal case since I was a minor and the, the guy was assaulting multiple girls there were four of us that were part of the case and um 
you know, it was all of my, my firsts, like all of my relational firsts, all of my sexual firsts. And so at the time when, when that case was going on as a, like a kid, I I was like kind of attached to this person, you know, like this person is showing me affection. He was older. He was like the quarterback of the football team, like was very charming. Everyone liked him. And, um, all of a sudden, like I'm the younger person responsible for him being suspended and no one believes me. I'm being slut shamed. Like my family, my dad was a pastor. So it was like this weight of like, is it worse to be no longer like pure than it is to get help for this? Like, it was just a really confusing season. And I think that it, that like validation and the anger or hurt that I was kind of like trying to swallow was just turning into like this concoction of anxiety. And so I really, you know, I had trouble sleeping like that grief manifested in like an inability to rest and night terrors. And um, it just felt like, kind of like, what the fuck, you know? Like this, it felt so exposing, especially because I was just being talked about, you know, by the school, by classmates, by police officers, by, whoever and I was the only person like pulled from the school out of that group of girls um and it yeah it it was just maddening it was I I I think like it's such a bodily response of like what it feels like to be so angry like there was a case recently that there was um an 18 year old boy in college or something that assaulted four girls and uh he received like zero charges because the the uh judge was like you know I I have faith in God that he's like guiding this guy and the the victim who was there just immediately vomited and like that's what it feels like is like you're so angry and like frustrated that you just want to like just makes you want to vomit. Um, And so it was like that consistently, like every night for like seven years, like I, you know, it felt like that control that this person had over me extended past me actually seeing that person and like their life just went on and was fine. There is such an interesting thing about that too. And because the the way society works and even you were the victim you were the one who was treated you're, you're the one who was wronged and yet because of the consequences of someone else's actions their consequences are being held against you as some sort of oh you know you did this and uh, it's it's such a ass backwards perspective on things and it's it it's infuriating um you know 
especially you know we're going through now with like you know with now you mentioned jeffrey epstein and now we have the Ghislaine maxwell trials going on right now and everything and um even i think about the stories i've heard in my lifetime about people who've been wronged by someone in that way and how everyone comes against them and it's there's almost needs to be like this duality of of the process because obviously they need to be respectful of you and there's a healing process you have to go through and a response process but also too that people around you they're they still get to say what they want and do what they want and treat Mm -hmm. you in a a way that's just it's i i can't imagine being put in that place yeah yeah so understandably like it really continued to mess with my further relationships my consensual relationships in high school after I was pulled from the school I went to middle school and then my freshman year of high school I went to a really tiny school and um and I was still vocal about my experience um but you know it was things like one of my really good friends in that very small school that felt like kind of a restart, like started dating the guy. And it was like, I took her aside and I was like, Hey, this is someone who's assaulted me. Like I feel very uncomfortable. And she just told me, you know, I think you should just like have forgiveness for people. And I'd been told that so many times. I even wrote this guy a letter saying, I think I just need to forgive you. And so it's stuff like that, that I felt like I was mourning my younger self and mourning my like loss of innocence at such a young age. Um, But I was equally like, and continually mourning, like this is a system that's failed this guy too. You know, he was debatably a kid too um and i and i know that he went on to assault other people up until college and probably through college um but yeah so it wasn't until i moved to scotland out of high school that i went to therapy and had someone say like this is assault and that whole year I, I didn't I didn't go on a date, I didn't find anyone attractive, I zero anything and um uh continued to really focus on myself and heal. And um so yeah, I lived there for a year and then I felt like wow, I've like really conquered this. Like I have really come out on the other side like this no longer rules me like I'm resting again you know I wasn't having the same nightmares anymore and the week that I move home I get a phone call that my dad who was a pastor for 25 years has assaulted like every man that I've been friends with that's lived with us that he's worked with in the double digits and it's all over the news and, um, you know, it was like, okay, like, let's do this again. And, you know, at the time I was still a little bit, I think, 
brainwashed from just being like fed your your response should always be forgiveness you know and so I was still really like gentle about it um so my visa expires and I moved to West Palm in South Florida and um I that the whole symptoms of like feeling like I'm losing my mind, like don't have any control of my emotions would lash out. Cause someone like held the door for me and told me to have a good day. And I'm like, fuck you. Like, how can anyone have a good day? And, um, that's when I got a church to pay for my EMDR trauma counseling. And I, would have never been able to get it without that. It was like $200 a session and I had to do it for, you know, at first they were like, we should do this for four weeks. And then we had like our first session. They were like, we should do this for two years. And I was like, okay. So, you know, I went every week for two years and it was like an exorcism, like, you know, another step of, holy shit, I've never been angry at this guy. Like, I've never been angry that he has had this full ride to college, this dated my friends, like, invaded my space continually. And I have been dealing with it for, like, upwards of seven years. And I've heard nothing. And I'm doing so much goddamn work and paying so much money. And not sleeping. I'm being a terrible friend, a terrible family member. I'm red flagging counselors. Like I I am getting tattooed. So I'm not self harming myself, like doing all of these things that just make me feel insane. And, and he's done nothing. And so, you know, um, you mentioned growing up in the church and your dad being a pastor and obviously from a situation uh, that happened with your dad, um, and I, I am a person of faith, so I'm not offended by anything you say here because a lot of it's a lot of what happens in the, there's a lot, there's a big problem with churches, I think in general and how they handle situations, but they probably didn't try to do anything to remedy what happened to you. They weren't, it sounded like they were just saying, forgive, forgive, forgive. And they weren't trying to say, Hey, we should probably take you to therapy, or we should try to find a positive way to help you process this instead of just saying, just pray it away. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Is that kind of what was going on? Yes. And, you know, there was a portion of time in response to that that I I was kind of like cornering pastors. Like, what, what are you doing to prevent this? Mm-hmm. You know, you're at the in all of the history of time, no one has changed anything to prevent the abuse of power, specifically in these situations. Like, yes you guys all have the same structure. What is anyone doing to make sure that this isn't happening in your church? Because sure, maybe it's not your pastor, but there's something in the water that why are people of your congregation abusing power? Why? And it's purity culture, purity culture and race culture are the same. They are the same. When you suffocate this part of a natural and good part of someone like, it becomes abusive. And that's, 
I just had to, I don't really think I'll ever enter a church environment again, but it hasn't changed like my spirituality or belief in like goodness or, you know, whatever. Yeah. There, there was such a, um, it sounds like there was such a loss of self, which we talk about with grief. I mean, because your whole identity, your whole life. And I mean, when this happened to you, it was during your formative years where you're trying to figure out who you are and your place in the world. Um, and that kind of just takes your whole life in a completely different trajectory. Mm. And then you have to, you know, you have to um, hear your friends say, I'm dating this guy who, who changed your life in a very big way. And then you hear, you know, what's happening with your dad with the, as a pastor. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, there's a major loss of self there and a major uh, a sense of, of inner peace and identity. And, um, but it seems like you're, you're working your way towards that. And I'm sure that you have ups and up days and down days like everyone else. So, yeah. And it doesn't end there either, you know, like yeah. it continued. I just felt like a magnet for like just terrible things and mm-hmm. you know meanwhile anytime there was a public case like with r kelly or kavanaugh or whatever weinstein i would read so much brock turner like i would read every inch of anything that was put out because i just needed to like hear other people and i would read you know uh, Rose McGowan, Chanel Miller, you know, all of these survivors who have now shared their side and their experience, it was really helpful for me to hear from them. And um, so simultaneously, as I'm processing this stuff with my dad, <clears throat> I started art healing groups in uh, transitional housing from prison in Florida. And um, I felt like it was healing for me in in that time because a lot of them were like six-year-old women trying to mend relationships with their children. Mm. And I had grown really close to the people in these transitional housing, but it brought me to this realization of like, there are people out there that hate this person, that have their lives have been ruined by this person. Um, But I have met them after that and I love them. And I hope that someone is that for my dad. I just know it can't be me. And I want that for the person who assaulted me, but it will never, be me and the hardest part of the grief of the living things is realizing that real healing for the world and for myself is not a miserable life for that person where they continue to make other people's lives miserable and ruin other people's lives by assaulting them but I have to admit and believe that they are worthy and capable of a second chance and that's the hardest thing is like I because I want I just and that's why Epstein was so frustrating was 
right before these women who'd been fighting for 30 years were able to look him in the face and get closure and say, this is what you did, he's gone. And it's almost worse, you know, because you want them to feel the weight of their actions, but they just might never. (laughs) Yeah. uh, And that, uh, that is such, there's, there's a closure to that that you won't that they don't get to have now because of that. Um, and I think about, of course, um, the Larry Nasser trials, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you were watching those intently, um, just like I was. And I think about you know the the story about the the girl who um, their family was 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 friends with the Nasser family, and he abused her for years, and she told her parents, and her dad's like, you know, why would he do that to you? And then mm-hmm. it comes out that this happens and the dad kills himself because, you know, because of, of his, the guilt he felt with his daughter. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, granted, they got to see their abuser and they got to confront him and see some semblance of justice and, ju- and, and validity of their lives in front of that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it's astounding because you got to try to find a place where that person because you know your father still exists in the world mm-hmm. and the, the man who is who assaulted you still exists in the world and you got to find a, a way to exist and not necessarily give them any sort of you know anything of you but yeah. you have to live in a world where you know you have to kind of compartmentalize it in a way i guess you could say mm-hmm. but um it seems like you're you're going through that so yeah and you know i I've been assaulted multiple times. Like that, that guy was the, you know, the longest that that's happened to me. But following that, I was assaulted by someone in my own home, uh, who like came into my home when I was maybe 16 and then assaulted again when I was 20. Um, cause I was drunk and, you know, and then I, and then in South Florida, I worked for, I was doing, you know, all these art healing programs and I worked for, uh, I started another one with like high school students that had behavioral issues and again, got really close to them, tried to create this safe space and the principal was just so odd with them. So I asked all the girls to stay back and you know, I opened the space, you know, if, if, if he has done anything, this is a space for you to tell me because I'm uncomfortable with him. And everyone was like, you know, we're just a small school. He's just a really friendly guy. Like it's not a thing. So I ended up quitting the next couple months. Cause I was like, okay, well, I don't think that. Yeah. And I get a Uh, like DM on Instagram and it's one of my old students asking if I left because he raped me Mm. and I said no and again in the news this guy has been offering his students rides home and has assaulted them and it's like it's no wonder like your my trust and so many people's trust is like shattered I mean, it's once you're, you know what to look for, it's, you know, I I can, you stand out like a sore thumb, but I still like, 
I just wish I would have said something to that guy, you know, Mm -hmm. and it brings up grief of, I wish I would have done something for him, like, instead of just quit. And, and then it's this guy that my dad contracted as a worker at the church, Chris Rice, who was like all over Christian radio, was, would come on youth trips with us and sing and taught my brother how to play the guitar and my brother's now like signed to a record label here like you know this was the last like you know this man is still good in our lives and my brother would find a lot of comfort in his music still and he's raped the same people that were assaulted by my dad and another thing all over the news and this whole build-up you know is then when I see things now, like in the news with Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell, I think like my dad's name is on a list like that. Like my dad's name has an impact on people the way that these other names do for me. And it's heartbreaking, you know, like, and it's, it's maddening because in my healing, I'm like, you know, one of the, another hard thing to swallow was, you know, I've like reached this point of healing and feeling safe in my body again, but I'm not guaranteed that that'll never happen again. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's shitty. (laughs) I mean, obviously the, the Epstein case inspired what you do, but what made you say, let's do these castings of people's chest? Um, I, I think part of my artistic background, um, oddly enough, my like introduction to art and that made me kind of love the human form was the Catholic church. And that's never been a liberating place for anyone sexual, uh, sexually, but I really loved like sculpture and high art. And so I just loved busts and things like that. And thought it would be a really beautiful way of displaying bodies. So I started by casting myself. Um, it's I use a plaster wrap. It's kind of like a gauze with plaster of Paris and whatnot. And then I make a paste with plaster of Paris and smooth it all out with that. But um, yeah, I just liked the, the human form in that way. And then as I kind of included other people, uh, it all came full, full circle because you're getting uh, something off of your chest. And um, I tell people to now leave whatever they want in the casts. Mm. Uh, and so it's kind of goes along with the whole mission being a release for people. It sounds incredibly cathartic. Um, and I also just love like the modern, the modernization you've created of, you know, the former bust mm-hmm. that, that you'd see in, in classical pieces and kind of putting that modern twist on it. That's really, really awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a question. So, you know, what is the atmosphere like, um, you know, when you meet someone and you're, you're doing these, um, you know, what kind of are, do people cry, you know, that 
piece of catharsis, you know, the, that piece of it. Um, how does that, how does that go? Yeah. Um, it, I mean, it's different for everyone. You know, some people are not very like openly emotional and I don't know what it's meant to them until I get a message months later, you know, saying like, this is what this meant to me. Um, and some people are like very present in the moment. Um, and of course cry, I think it is just a really difficult experience to talk about. And, um, also to be learning to let go of. Uh, so some people cry like after I take the cast off and yeah, I mean, it's, it's a naturally, um, emotional space, uh, but it's not always the, that emotional on the forefront. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, that makes a lot of sense because grief is not the same for everyone. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think we do tend to find that, you know, some people are ready and willing to talk about what they're going through right away. Mm -hmm. And that's what helps them. Other people want to message about it and write mm -hmm. it out. Um, so it, it's, you know, it's very interesting to see the alignment between your process and your art. And then also, you know, how, how grief really manifests for everyone. It's, it is, it's very different. Yeah. One thing, and, and the first video that Jamie and I ever saw um, that I shared with Jamie said we have to get her on podcast was <laughs> um, you actually casting a male because right now from behind you, we see a lot of, a lot of female um, busts, but you also uh, have done busts with men as well. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's great too, because obviously, you know, there's always that invalidation of, of men with, with sexual assault and sexual violence. So that's really amazing. Um, so we, we know what this perspective is like from people who are the ones being casted, but when you take these, this, this, um, this piece, I should say this, this artwork and put it somewhere and people come to see it, what's the response you hear from people who are um, coming in from the streets to, to look at this? Um, well, any events that I host, I don't, it's not just like open to anyone. Okay. You have to get a ticket. Um, and any events in my space, I kind of give a trigger warning at the door and I let people in in groups and um, they're very intentional. So sure. people are never just like happening upon it, sure. you know? Um, so, but the, I remember the first time that I had um, an opening with it was also the first time, the first 200 were all female, um, or non-binary folks. And, um, the, it was a, the first time that men had been in this space. And, um, I think that difference as well, you know, you, you can kind of see like people who maybe aren't having that much of a connection with the piece that um or people who bring their partners in that have never really seen what like the manifestation of the emotion is and um so for people who've been cast or survivors whatever 
it's the first time they've been in a room with people who have had the casting experience and kind of realized that and it's beautiful and um, it's usually pretty emotional a lot of sniffling and crying and then there's their partners kind of on looking realizing you know I had not really any framework because sometimes it can be as you guys know so hard to communicate like what you're feeling and what you need and when you're in it it's so hard to communicate so it's it's providing a space to be like I can't put it into words but just come you know and it goes a step further with live casting to have people watch you know the actual process um so yeah it's been wild (laughs) and i i mean um we kind of said this earlier too but i'm sure you know it's it's validating for you to to look at you know what happened in your own life and to be able to share this something that you're creating and 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 this place for advocacy and for people allowing themselves to get it off their chest, as you say. Um, and not only that, people to experience it from from that outside perspective and to feel things. And I think that's really amazing. Um, this conversation has been so good today. And it's like got me teary out a couple of times. You can't really see because I wear glasses. Yeah, I, you, I don't know if you saw, but I'm like already. Jamie, you'll start I've been here for a few point. minutes. I'm crying. <laughs> um, but it's be- it's beautiful. It's really beautiful what you do and how you help people through this process. And, you know, um, I, I love the piece of like, you know, others that come to witness and and and, you know, helping them gain perspective as well. It's really incredible. Do you do anything like where you offer um, through like your own website or whatever, you offer resources for people who may have been victims of uh, violence and assault like that? Mm-hmm. Um, so any shows, I will have like a resource list, kind of like pro bono to $200 options of counseling, you know, your state uh, provided counseling, things like that. Um, so I do a level of research on those resources anywhere that I do the project, but also through this, um, I lead support groups, uh, and that's the been just another layer of healing for me because in these, in this room, you know, I have all of these casts and me and that person are the only ones who know what we talk about. And um, I remember all of the stories behind the cast and, you know, I would have those thoughts during viewings all the time of like, wow, I just wish that you guys would talk to each other. Like, I wish that you would just hear each other say the same thing. And um, with the support group, I like finally have been able to see that happening and And it's so beautiful, you know, to have people finally, the, the, the purpose of it being fulfilled, you know, like the community actually existing and like, we have a whole commitment thing, you know, because of the topic that, you know, we'll show up for each other. And of course, like I'm busy doing shows and whatever, and I forgot one time and 
the group, one of the one of the girls was like, well, I'll lead it and like message them herself and, you know, just to see them, they're do like, it's happening. Like it's happening. They're, they're doing what this is, what this is for. And it's not just me. Like it's, I have therapists that work with me and, and it's just, it's working. <laughs> and, and it's great and it's healing for me because it also relieves this weight but also it's a space that I'm allowed to that I participate in that I'm allowed to talk um so it's beautiful well that's great too and this is kind of an abstract question but um let's say an alley of the past a younger alley had come across this kind of space where there's people being you know, being vulnerable and casting their support groups. And I'm sure that would have changed the trajectory of your healing process in such a profound way. Right. Mm -hmm. And I I think that's amazing. And it's so, it's so amazing what you've created. Like, I'm just, I'm listening to this whole conversation and I don't like, we just met before this podcast, but I, I feel like I'm just so proud of you and like so much respect for you and what you're doing is just so inspiring um so feel good about that not that you need to impress me or anything but um so one thing we ask all of our guests on the show um is that we ask them to finish this sentence it can be one word it can be multiple words but how would you finish the sentence grief is i guess ongoing so what's what's next and i i know you take this this exhibit places i mean how like how far radius do you reach do you go across the country are you keeping it to a certain area uh yeah i travel i mean i started this like right as covid you know and it relies on people being involved so um that has been a little bit limiting um Mm -hmm. But I'll travel uh, all over the States. Uh, I go where people ask me to go as long as I have like a list of the most requested places. So um, I'm based in Chattanooga, but I go to West Palm, Denver, New York at least once a year. I will keep an eye out. I'm I'm down here in South Florida, so that's. Oh really? You just missed me. I got back two days ago. Oh no. Yeah, but you can go see the, there's an installation in West Palm. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about that after this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just curious yeah. where it is. It'll be up through um, Ghislaine Maxwell's trial. So we're keeping it up the whole time. Um, but yeah, I, and I do plan on, you know, I want to go back to Scotland since I lived there and do the project and um, I plan on doing it for a lifetime. So I'm just open to its evolution. Amazing. It's, it's so amazing. Um, I love it so much. Jamie, do you have any other questions before I, I wrap this up? Um, I do, but I don't know if you guys already talked about it, but I was just wondering about, you know, um, and if you have, then just tell me, but, um, you know, the the, the grief of, of, you know, and the weight of, for you, of carrying all of these, these folks' stories. Mm-hmm. Is that, you know, how does that impact you? When I did um, prison groups uh, in South Florida, I did art healing groups there. 
uh, I had people, uh, investors in West Palm asking to pay for my certification as a therapist. Wow. For me to go to school. Um, and so before they fully invested in that, they sent me to a like week long convention called Moments of Change. Uh, and I just like seven hours a day went to uh, courses on receiving trauma and the ways to wow respond. Yeah. It, it, I didn't know that, that that was a thing. I mean, I guess it makes sense. I think about this all the time. You know, we had a chaplain on, um, you know, who really just, he sits in the hospital and when an accident happens or somebody dies, he's there to support, you know, whoever was in the accident with them or the survivors. And it's, you know, like, it's a beautiful thing that you're doing, but I also you know, worry and, and care that you're okay. So that's a, yeah. uh, that's a, that's a really interesting, uh, I didn't know, but that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I think if, had I done this before that, I would not be able to let anyone walk out. And <laughs> I like, I would have to know, like you have someone, right? Like you're going to be okay. Yeah. And, um, you know, now I'm, I'm able to, I don't take on other people's trauma or, even the responsibility that, you know, I'm now their caretaker. Um, but rather having like faith and hope that, okay, they've done something. They've done something that shows them that they're not alone and it is a resource. And um, that's what I can offer. So there's kind of a piece in that for me. And it, it's a daily exercise for me of realizing that I'm not alone and mm -hmm. them doing that too. So there's a little bit of um, relief, although it, it hits me every now and then, like for the 1,113 survivors I've cast, there's also 1,113 abusers. Mm -hmm. And, um, but that's where the seasons of grief come in is that like that, I do that and I get a tattoo for every installation because I need some sort of like punch it out of me. And so, yeah. Absolutely. You know, that is uh, certainly a way of healing and, and getting through things. Mm -hmm. And I cast myself with every show. So oh, awesome. also you recast yourself every show. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, Allie, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's, it's such a, <laughs> It's such a privilege to know you and to have this conversation. Um, uh, you're just you're just an amazing person, and obviously, like your artwork speaks for itself. But getting to know the person behind the artwork is really amazing. So, thank you for being on the show today. Yeah, thanks for thank asking. You so me. much. Flexible too. <laughs> no problem at all. And everyone who is listening, thank you for being here today, and we will talk to you later. Bye, everybody. Mm -hmm.